Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to be with you once again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Today's show coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, where we're attending the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. We have over 6,000 people here representing every single facet of the cattle industry for this year's convention. And of course, anytime you have a cattle meeting nowadays, you're probably going to hear a discussion about sustainability. We'll have more on that subject coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. In the Texas Panhandle, corn and sorghum are doing well. But cotton still has some catching up to do. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. After an extended growing season, the Central Texas corn harvest is finally underway. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Weed management in warm season perennial grass hay meadows can be a challenging task. However, grassy weeds such as crabgrass and Johnson grass can be even more challenging. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Cattle Industry Convention is underway here in Nashville this week, and these days, anytime you have a cattle meeting like this, you're going to hear about sustainability. I attended a sustainability panel discussion last night with some great speakers on the subject. One of those was Dr. Sarah Place, Chief Sustainability Officer for Elanco Animal Health. She says one of the biggest mistakes we can make is avoiding the discussion. The key thing is addressing those consumer concerns or questions. And if we don't and we let other folks kind of define that narrative of what beef is or isn't from a sustainability perspective, there is that risk there that we essentially shrink the amount of dollars that are coming into the industry because we're turning people off or we're driving down demand because we're not addressing this issue proactively. And that means it's important to tell what you're doing on your Texas ranch. Even within the state of Texas, right, there's so much diversity from east to west, north to south, right? What, you know, quote unquote sustainable is, is going to change depending on where you are. So I think the main thing is just making it the, the reality of what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis as a producer, right? And just giving people those little bit of anecdotes uh, that, quite frankly, most people don't realize. Dr. Place says something as simple as explaining the use of solar panels to power water pumps can tell a great sustainability story. There is a big need for more dairy processing facilities in Texas. Jessica Domel explains. Despite new milk processors moving to Texas and others expanding, the state has a need for additional processing. Darren Turley, executive director of the Texas Association of Dairymen, joins us with more. We're really looking for processors as the state goes. We can make the milk, we just don't have a home for it right now. There is a big need 
for that, and we are relatively full in every place. So we are kind of in a situation where the industry feels like you need to address that and you can't continue just to produce milk because in the past, usually some part of the nation was lagging. You had somewhere that didn't have as much milk as it had capacity and you could shuffle some milk around. It might not have been that profitable, but you could find a home for it. And it just seems to be that right now the nation is full of milk. The industry has responded to the issue by implementing a tiered pricing program for dairy farmers. Turley said it is unlikely the excess milk will be dumped. Instead, it will be taken to areas where it can be processed and utilized. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cargill and Continental Grain Company announced this week a joint venture agreement to acquire Sanderson Farms, the third largest poultry producer in the United States. Sanderson operates in several states, including right here in Texas. In the Texas panhandle, corn and sorghum are doing well, but James Hunt tells us that cotton there still has some catching up to do. Checking in with Randall County Extension agent J.D. Ragland, he says crops in his county are showing the advantages of timely precipitation. Our corn and our silage and our milo have just responded extremely well to the recent rainfall and we've got a lot of added growth and a lot of benefit from our rainfall. We've had some insect issues in a place or two. Producers are needing to stay on top of that no doubt, particularly in our sorghum where sugarcane aphids are starting to increase. Matter of fact, some spraying may have already taken place, if not, will soon. So we're encouraging our sorghum producers to stay on scouting lookout for those sugarcane aphids as they've just recently kind of started to explode in terms of population. So those insect issues to watch out for, yes, but overall good crop development. Until we get to cotton, which Ragland says is a little off schedule following a recent cool spell. We just didn't have enough heat units right there through about a week to 10 day period and therefore we got just a wee bit behind. As harvest draws near, Ragland says area crops could use a little more rain and grazing lands need it too because they're beginning to taper off. You can see in the heat of the afternoon, two o'clock in the afternoon, those native pastures are certainly beginning to show some stress. The Randall County Extension Office has a special event coming up for area producers on August 31st. More on that tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The combines are rolling in central Texas cornfields. Tom Nicoletti has an update. Corn farmer Rodney Schronk is my guest today. He is from Hill County in Central Texas. Rodney, after an extended growing season, you and other farmers finally can harvest your crop. How is it going in the beginning stages? So we're just getting started. The, the moisture on the corn has still been rather high, especially in the longer maturing varieties. Today, I've noticed a lot more machines beginning to crank up and get going at full speed. I think this week, most farmers in Hill County will probably get a start on it. The hot, dry uh, weather certainly is uh, beneficial for you when it comes to harvesting corn. Yes, we, uh, we've needed the heat and the wind to help dry the corn down. As uh, most people, I don't think, realize in central Texas, we don't use chemicals to terminate the growth of our corn or to harvest it green and dry it down. We, we have to let Mother Nature do that. So the hot, windy weather is good at drying that plant down naturally to get the moisture out so that we can store that corn in silos without 
mold growing on it. Farmers are about three weeks late on uh, starting this harvest, so uh, a lot of delays in the spring and summer of 2021. It has been a very unusual year. Uh, we were just commenting with my oldest son. We were harvesting a field, and down below it, there was a pond that normally has been dry most of the summer now and is completely full. With that wet weather and the cooler temperatures, the crop has just matured slower and allowed those kernels to develop more depth and density to them. And what we're seeing early on, anyway, is a really good quality crop. We're still kind of early to judge yields. We are very late. Uh, Normally, we would be thinking about finishing up the next week or two here if we're just getting started. That is Central Texas farmer Rodney Schrank. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Weed management in summer hay meadows can be a challenging task. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says it's even more of a challenge when we're dealing with grassy weeds like crabgrass and Johnson grass. Crabgrass is a warm season annual grass that is commonly found in pastures and hay meadows in parts of Texas. Relative to other warm season annual grasses, crabgrass has a low to medium yield potential but is high in forage quality. As such, it is often a desirable component in pastures and is sometimes planted for forage. As in the case with many annual grasses, crabgrass is a prolific seed producer, which enables new stands to establish in subsequent growing seasons for summer grazing. Due to its high seed production, crabgrass also has the potential to become a persistent weed in hay meadows. Its competitive growth among hay meadows contributes to stand thinning from spring to late summer. Crabgrass has a slower drying rate than most species, which causes rotting and mold development after baling. Once it is dry, crabgrass often turns a dark brown or black color, which stands in stark contrast to the bright green color of other grass hay crops. This can substantially lower the value of the hay, so controlling the growth of crabgrass may be critical for long-term production. Johnson grass is a warm-season perennial grass that is found along roadsides and ditches, but can also be found in hay meadows. It is a relatively high-quality summer forage that is also fairly drought-tolerant. Johnson grass is rarely a concern in pastures as livestock tend to overgraze and eliminate it. It is commonly one of the last forages to stop growing in drought-stressed pastures. Johnson grass also has the potential to be poisonous during drought. Johnson grass can accumulate prussic acid in its leaves and poison livestock. Once the hay has dried enough to be safely baled, prussic acid will have volatized to a non-toxic level. Additionally, Johnson grass has a strong potential for nitrate accumulation when subjected to stress and or high nitrogen fertilization. Unlike prussic acid, nitrate levels do not decline after cutting or baling. Proper sampling and testing are required to ensure the hay is safe to feed. For herbicide recommendations for grassy weed control, contact your local county extension agent. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from East Texas with Texas Ag Today. More than two dozen alligator snapping turtles are back in the wild after being seized as part of an animal trafficking attempt. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And over the last 40 years, trichomoniasis has developed as a major cause of a decreased calf crop. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. 
There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Over the last four decades, trichomoniasis, or trick, has developed as a major cause of a decreased calf crop, but it is preventable. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells how. As a cattle producer, you may not know you have a trick problem until you have your cows checked for pregnancy and find a lot of open cows. If this occurs, then testing your bulls should be the first step. Trichomoniasis is a reproductive disease caused by the protozoan trichomonas fetus. And although bulls show no clinical signs of the disease, they are the ones that transmit the disease. Older bulls are more likely to be infected, and unfortunately, there is no treatment for the disease. And the bulls must be removed from the herd and either castrated or sent to slaughter. The infection causes cows and heifers to lose the fetus within the first four months of pregnancy. And although they usually clear the infection after a few months after they abort, they can become reinfected. There is vaccination for trichomoniasis for cows, but does not prevent an infection, although it may reduce the number of lost calves. Since there is no treatment, the most important method of controlling trichomoniasis is prevention of the disease. And this starts by having a breeding soundness exam performed on all bulls, which should be done annually in all herds. Also, any new bulls should be tested within the last 60 days before adding them into the herd, unless you are sure they have not been exposed to females. In most cases, it is probably safer to test all bulls regardless of history, as the test is not expensive and is not worth allowing trick in your herd for the cost of a test. Also, make sure all of the heifers and cows you purchase come from negative herds. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. More than two dozen alligator snapping turtles are back in the wild after being seized as part of an animal trafficking attempt. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. 21 adult and 6 juvenile alligator snapping turtles are back in their natural habitat this week after being seized as part of an illegal wildlife trafficking attempt. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, the turtles, which can weigh up to 150 pounds, were being poached in Texas and transported to Louisiana in violation of the Federal Lacey Act. Alligator snapping turtles are reportedly a popular food item in some areas. In Louisiana, there is no commercial harvest allowed for the alligator snapping turtles, but residents can take one per day. It is illegal to harvest them at all in Texas. They've been protected in the Lone Star State since the 1970s. The Parks and Wildlife Department, in conjunction with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, began an investigation into the illegal trafficking of alligator snapping turtles in 2017. After their seizure, the turtles were taken to the Natchitoches National Fish Hatchery to recover. They've since been released back into their habitat in East Texas after being evaluated and fitted with radio telemetry so that they can be monitored throughout their lives. Meredith Longoria, Deputy Director of TPWD's Wildlife Division, said they've had the unique opportunity to not only return the turtles to their range in East Texas, they were also able to learn more about their habits and biology so we can more effectively conserve Texas population. 
The releasing of the turtles was a coordinated effort among the Parks and Wildlife Department, Fish and Wildlife, Stephen F. Austin State University, the Sabine River Authority, Northeast Texas Municipal Water District, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the Houston Zoo, and the Turtle Survival Alliance, among others. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's time for a look back at the markets. Jessica will join us for a complete update of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets right after this. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Despite strong demand for U.S. beef, live cattle traded lower for much of the day Wednesday. October live cattle down 55 cents to 127.57. December live cattle down 22 cents to 133.17. Higher corn prices pushed feeder cattle prices lower on Wednesday. September feeder cattle down 22 cents to 162.82. October feeder cattle down 55 cents to 165.30. Box beef prices continue to rise this week. Choice cuts were up today $5.52 to $305.32. We did surpass that $300 a hundredweight mark on Tuesday. That is the first time since June that it has topped $300 a hundredweight. Select was up $3.80 to $284.61 Wednesday. Now let's check the livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Let's head down to Three Rivers. Talk to my friend Riley Rhodes about the sale he had Monday. Riley, I understand it was a good one. little short on numbers, but a good one nonetheless. Uh, it continues to be pretty good, Larry. Uh, market uh, fully steady with last week uh, on Packer cows and calves and yearlings. I thought, uh, you know, they sold... Plenty steady, maybe a couple cents higher on some of the bigger cattle this week. Uh, but overall, really good sale. Ended up with uh, 1,100 head even. Did have some pretty good stocker cows. They brought from the pairs 975 up to 1,500. Some bread cows, eight and a quarter up to 13 and a quarter. The high yield and packer cows, 74 to 82. The breakers, 66 to 76. Uh, canners, 44 to 62. High yield and packer bulls, 92 to 98. Low to medium, low to medium yielding bulls, 80 to 92. The two to three weight choice tiers, 176 to 198. Heifer mates, 168 to 186. Uh, three to four weight choice steers, 172 to 196. Heifer mates, 150 to 164. Four to five weight choice steers, 172 to 196. Heifer mates, 148 to 162. Five to six weight choice steers, 170 to 186. Heifer mates, 146 to 162. Six to seven weight choice steers, 146 to 160. Heifer mates, 136 to 148. 
and the seven to eight weight choice deer is 138 to 152, and the heifer mates 124 to 138. So I uh, got along good. Uh, you know, had some good strings of calves here today, which always helps. Uh, and the cows too. We had some good cows. You know, some pretty decent stocker cows. So. Overall, I uh, had a real good sale today. Tell everybody how to contact you at Live Oak Three Rivers for the Monday sale. 361-813-6650 is my cell. Uh, 361-786-2553 is the office. And the webpage is liveoaklivestock.com. Riley, we appreciate you. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Larry. Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pens. I'm Larry Marble. I'm your host. I'll be back tomorrow with yet another Livestock Market Operator Report. Good day to you. All right. Thank you, Larry. After closing limit down earlier in the week, lean hogs closed higher on Wednesday. October lean hogs up $1.97 to $85.80. An increase in block cheese prices Wednesday provided some support to Class 3 milk prices, but a decline in barrel cheese prices brought those prices right back down. Block cheese was up 4.25 cents Wednesday to $1.78. Barrel cheese was down 1.75 cents to $1.41. September class 3 milk down 8 cents to $17.20, 100 weight. After toppling 92 cents on Tuesday, we saw triple-digit losses in cotton on Wednesday. October cotton down 110 points to 91.64. December cotton down 110 points to 91.22. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is expected to release its World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report on Thursday. We're also expecting a weekly export report from USDA as well. Those could impact cotton prices later in the week. Dwindling prospects from Brazil's second corn crop pushed corn prices higher on Wednesday. September corn up 7 to 5.56 and a quarter. December corn up 6 to 5.59 and a quarter. September hard red wheat down 4 to 7.10 and a quarter. December hard red wheat was down 4 to 7.22. Soybeans traded mostly higher Wednesday on signs of accelerating export demand. The U.S. Department of Agriculture was also reporting that China has bought 132,000 metric of new crop soybeans. November soybeans up 3 and a quarter to 13.40. September natural gas was down two cents Wednesday to 406. October natural gas down two cents to 407. September crude oil was up nine cents to 69.26 a barrel. October crude oil up nine cents to 69.03 a barrel. Now let's stroll on down to our financial markets, see how they fared for us on Wednesday. The Dow up 219 points to 35,484. The S&P 500 up nine to 4,446. The NASDAQ was down 27 points to 14,760. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel. Y'all have a good day. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.